This is Sarah Bordeev, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode, we're bringing you a huddle from our sister publication, Adventure Park Insider. Europe has been several weeks ahead of North America in terms of the evolution of the COVID-19 pandemic. Just as in the States, European countries are getting ready to reopen their aerial adventure operations and leisure attractions. We welcomed representatives from the European Ropes Course Association, IRCA, to share what is going on in their home countries and how it might differ from how operations are approaching reopening in North America. We'll kick it off with Sam and Adventure Park Insider Publisher, Olivia Rowan. So uh, thank you all for joining us today for our Adventure Park Insider Huddle. I'm Olivia Rowan, the publisher of Adventure Park Insider Magazine um, and co-hosting with Rick Call, who's our editor, and Sarah Badeff, who's our associate editor. Um, for today's call, we are welcoming uh, some colleagues from across the pond who uh, will speak to what operators in Europe are doing to adapt to operations and mitigate the risks of COVID-19 um, as they are all reopening or in some cases have already opened. Um, but first, as we like to do, um, we get an update from um, ACCT Policy Director Scott Andrews, um, who will just give us an update on um, efforts uh, on our side of the world here. Um, so Scott, why don't you give us a little update? Um, so we're seeing lots of sites open across the southeast and some in the Midwest and beginning to see the announcements of some upcoming openings in the western United States. ACT is continuing to work on um, response to that for operators and um, builders and we are um, working with, um, we're doing some webinars this week on, the, on financial pieces as well as on liability. The other big piece we've done in the last week is that we've published a survey for members about their um, feelings and likelihood of attending the conference and if the conference was in a different format, what they would like. And that's really where we are. We're still moving forward and trying to help people get reopened and keep their businesses intact. So the European aerial adventure industry has been several weeks ahead of North America. Um, with its COVID-19 preparedness and planning. And many operations are already open and many more are preparing to open with modified policies and procedures aimed at mitigating the risk of the spread of the virus. uh, Today, we welcome representatives from the United Kingdom, Ireland, Austria, Switzerland, Sweden, the Netherlands, Spain, and Germany to share what is happening in each of their countries and hopefully provide some actionable takeaways for operations that are preparing to open here. So, um, with that, Rick, why don't you kick us off with um, a round of questions for our panelists? Okay. Um, Danielle, let's start with you. Um, you're on the board of IRCA, and you work for a design and build company in Spain. Where is Spain in the process of, re- of reopening, and what are or were the biggest hurdle- hurdles for your aerial adventure operators to reopen? Okay. Um, so in Spain, uh, right now, there are only a few uh, ropes courses opening. They, are, uh, they have already opened or they are still in opening process. Um, at the moment, we cannot move for leisure activities from one federal state to the other. So our um, uh, mobility is, um, is limited. 
and that's why the ropes courses will will uh, continue open until um, I think uh, the end of June. This is uh, the actual uh, plan from the government that until the end of June uh, we will we will can come back to let's say a normal life, and that also means that uh, all the ropes courses. Uh, will be opened. Um, right now, in the last weeks, I'm already noticing uh, a lot of phone calls, a lot of interest uh, regarding inspections and projects. Um, uh, let's say, I think the people are trying to do the last things to, to prepare the summer, and, uh, but I think of course, it will not be the same uh, volume of work and, um, and um, yeah, business um, we can do until the summer. So uh -huh. what, sort of steps, what sort of steps are people taking because of the coronavirus? I, I have to admit that um, I'm in contact with ERCA and as I'm German with, uh, with Germany in general, and um, in Spain, um, we are looking to other countries how they are doing the things um, to, to guide us. Um, right now, um, the, there's no recommendation um, by the local governments or local authorities uh, about um, detailed information or detailed recommendation about how to do, how to do uh, the work, how to, which um, procedure do. And uh, I think every ropes course is looking for its own uh, measures. And gotcha. um, really, I, I can't tell you a detailed information because I will go to do some inspection, inspections in the coming weeks. And I am in contact with only two parks. They are still not opened. So um, my information here in Spain is limited. Okay. So I almost have more information about the German uh, market than about the Spanish market. So okay. we are as so as we are expecting to be back in the normal business at the end of June or let's say more in July. So the people are still uh, in the preparation process. Okay, let's okay. Um, let's let's Rick. We're going to move to um, Mike Hasselback. Um, he is on the staff of the European Ropes Course Association. Um, and is located in Germany. And um, Mike, you um, talked with us the other day um, that Germany is open and has been for a while. Um, and let us know, since you are ahead of us in that respect, what, um, what's been working, what hasn't, and what's been expected and what's been surprising um, as guests return to um, the parks. Yeah, thanks for being uh, here and for the invitation. Um, what I can report for Germany is, uh, or I have to say, it uh, was a bit of surprise that we restarted much quicker um, than we all have assumed uh, this will start. So um, that uh, means we changed our plannings um, how to guide our members um, in the process of reopening a little bit. Um, which means um, we started the first time um, in our history with making a live document, which was developed uh, in a process, but the members 
could read the current status of our guidance and um, recommendations. So that was uh, unique to us. And um, I think this uh, was necessary because time fly by very fast um, until uh, the announcement that it will be reopenings possible. Um, yeah, so um, that was a procedural uh, thing. And how does it look in Germany at the moment? Um, so adventure parks and ropes courses who welcome um, individuals, families, or um, single users are um, open for those. But um, the bad luck is with the group um, uh, operators. Uh, means uh, no school classes or other big groups allowed at the moment. And um, there is, uh, especially for schools, uh, no real outlook that they can come back to adventure uh, education and uh, ropes courses at the moment. That's something we focus on um, as association with other big um, educational providers and associations. Uh, if we can pass away for them uh, to welcome even the bigger groups. Um, for us, it is more or less a bit logical because uh, students are back in school, um, but they are not allowed um, to go um, to any outdoor facilities at the moment. And this, um, even uh, the schools have demand of um, have more people um, looking after the children because the classes are um, half uh, the normal. And so in principle, there would be need, but um, the government does not allow people to go there. You said when you opened, um, did you restrict capacity? What kind of numbers did you see when you opened and then several weeks down the road did, did attendance increase as people felt more safe um, how did how did that roll out yeah it is uh, not so long time ago so uh, let's say we have now between 10 and 14 days um, since the very first um, parks has opened so that's a short time frame um, and restriction in numbers is more or less um, by what is possible and uh, our recommendation was that um, only one element and one platform is used by one person at the same time. So this will um, make it possible uh, that social distancing is, um, uh, is done. Um, and so this is more or less the limitation, but I know from reports um, that yes, a few guests turn up, but um, the capacities are not yet at the numbers um, where it is uh, usual um, in summertime. And Mike, you said social distancing for you is one meter, one and a half. What is it in Germany? Um, by recommendation from the government, it's 1.5 meters. Um, however, um, we think it's better to have a structure in the ropes course uh, to, de to be defined. And so um, we come to this um, idea to say, okay, um, we define how many people uh, can be on one platform or on an element. 
And Danielle and, and Mike, there's a lot of questions that, you know, and you and I discussed on our pre-call that um, in America, we're really um, undecided and are trying to figure out masks, no masks, the guides wear shields, no shields. How do you clean this, you know, sanitize equipment, the helmets? So you've had to think through all this. What has been your approach in requiring masks or not? protection for your guides? Are they required to wear a mask? Is it um, left to the operator? Is it left to the customer to worry about themselves? How, how does it play out in Germany? Uh, what we uh, clearly pointed out um, to all our members is that um, they should please take care for their staff members um, very uh, carefully because those uh, staff members are um, the, the key point um, and meet so a lot of other people over a day. Um, we made no restrictions or, or um, regulations for the operators. It is left to the operators, but we pointed it out in our documents uh, that uh, staff uh, is a key point and therefore they should um, have a look um, how they can protect them. Um, and uh, masks um, are a part of it, but um, the main point is social distancing. So means um, at what time ever in the ropes course, um, the distance shall be kept and even a better, a wider distance of two meters or more if possible. And um, in cases where no, um, where the uh, touch between people must be um, in shorter distance, for example, in case of a rescue or something like that, then additional measures have to be taken. And uh, this can be uh, usage of masks, um, a shield, um, gloves. Um, we give uh, guidance on some examples in a document. If it's uh, to the interest of the group, I can share the links where the framework guidance is um, made and the example list. Mike and the other panelists shared several resources throughout the call. You can view these at www.adventureparkinsider.com slash huddle. Danielle, do you, do you see many parks, you know, it's left up to them. So what are they doing? Are they mostly saying staff have to wear masks the entire time? Are they saying so long as you keep that meter and a half to two meters, you don't have to wear masks? Are you temperature checking them on the way in? Are you cleaning harnesses differently? I think, um, no, I noticed um, in, we had some um, chats, let's say WhatsApp groups, um, very active WhatsApp groups, uh, for example. And I noticed um, that a lot of uh, operators uh, we're asking to the associations not to give a, a very detailed recommendation about the use of masks, um, gloves, and um, the main point was how Mike said the, the social distancing we have to uh, respect. And from then on, each operator has to develop his own strategy in his own um, park because every park uh, infrastructure and uh, the environment is different. Um, and 
yeah, let's say we noticed from the operators that they wanted to be able to take their own uh, decision um, regarding their own um, their particular conditions in their part. And that's actually a, a pretty good segue. Um, Steve Woods and Emma Bell are from Vertex Training in the UK. And when we had our pre-call uh, earlier in the week, um, you had mentioned that you are focusing on developing protocols for a lot of your clients uh, to help them reopen in the UK. And a key piece of those outlines that you mentioned was shared responsibility between the operators and the guests. Um, so one of the questions that we had was kind of how are you proposing that that responsibility is shared? You know, kind of what things are the guests responsible for versus what would the operation be responsible for? Um, in the in the UK, we've been it's been made very clear to us as um, employers, business owners, that uh, our first priority must be to our staff. So, um, you know, they they produce pretty clear guidance on what they expect of us when it comes to um, preparing our site, uh, communicating with our staff, um, carrying out uh, a COVID risk assessment, uh, communicating with our customers, uh, strategizing things like social distancing. And they go on to say that they do not believe the addition of COVID specific PPE is an effective measure in, in a place of work. They actually advise us we should leave it to healthcare environments only. They do give a bit of a caveat to that in, in that they say that through a risk assessment, you may determine um, special cases where it is necessary. And you heard, I believe it was Mike earlier, talk about a potential rescue on a, on a facility. Well, we would classify that as a case where um, masks, gloves, um, shields from the helmets, whatever you might decide upon, you, you, you may, um, through your risk assessment, determine that that's an appropriate measure. And we've gone on to include some of that within our guidance. But in the main part, the, the governments have said to companies and business owners, you need to look after your staff. You need to provide facilities for anybody coming to your place of work. But they've also set out um, strict guidance to the public that every time they leave their home, they have duties as well. And our understanding as to why this is, is because COVID-19 is not a work-related issue. It is not specific to my business. It's not a, an outcome of how I determine I'm going to work or the products I'm going to make or what I'm going to generate in my place of work. Um, it's a public health issue. So whilst we, as an employer, um, need to look after our staff and we'll invite the public in, there is also a requirement upon the public to do their part as well. So some of the things they've been asked to do is to wash their hands. Um, and so some of the things that we will say in our guidance to ropes course operators or zip park operators is provide facilities sufficiently so they can wash their hands when they arrive. Um, it's uh, the government guidance to the public as well is they suggest that people wear a face covering, not a specific grade of um, respirator face shield, but a face covering. So part of our communication to our customers will be, come along and bring your face covering. 
but it would be incumbent upon them to control their face covering. The vast majority of what we're looking at within our environment, as already explained by Mike, is going to be based around on, on social distancing, um, capacity management, so staggering the movement of people around. Um, and we may even move towards uh, something called, I hope I get the name right now, but uh, sort of social bubbling, whereby you may have a group arrive together, a group of friends or family members, so you keep them together, but keep them away from other people. So the measures we're looking at in the main are, are fairly, well, simple in principle, maybe not simple when it comes to actually designing them into your operation, but um, it's about communicating effectively with the customer, um, letting them know what you expect of them. It's about limiting um, as many touch points as you can, particularly in and around arrival on booking and you know, doors, door handles, you know, sort of having doors open rather than closed, things like this. Social distancing on the ropes course, keeping your staff a social distance away from the customer where possible. And if you have unavoidable close contact, which is a term we've used ourselves, um, such as you, you may need to help somebody with a harness, you may need to load them onto the zip line, you may need to support them out on the course, then at that point, the people carrying out those tasks um, may be required by the operator to put a type of face shield or, or face mask on and some gloves in order to carry out that unavoidable close contact. Um, <clears throat> the other thing we've been looking at in the last sort of week, really, is the increasing amount of scientific understanding um, around COVID-19 in the outdoors, because I know that indoor operations um, the risk of COVID is, is much harder to control because of the air droplets, you know, moving around in the ventilation of the building um, and also the length of time that they believe it can live on surfaces, so hard surfaces, the, the commonly given figure of 72 hours. However, there's an increasing amount of um, agreement in scientific knowledge that in the outdoor environment, those times are greatly reduced. In fact, it's very hard for the particles to, to stay in any area. We have wind, we have an atmosphere, we have natural ventilation. Um, so by just using a, a social distancing um, tactic, that in itself is probably one of the easiest things you can do. Um, there's also um, scientific evidence now looking at how long COVID will last on hard surfaces um, under sunlight. And Emma's already put into the chat um, a recent scientific journal um, where they tested that. Now, it has to be said that that was under laboratory conditions on a very small um, sample and in a very strict um, you know, laboratory environment, but um, they managed to demonstrate that the effect of sunlight can actually um, kill off uh, the COVID virus in, in a matter of minutes. Um, and you know, in a more uncontrolled environment, we may extend that to a matter of hours, but um, there is increasing evidence that um, by being outdoors and by working outdoors, the risks are far less than they are if we have an indoor operation anyway. So our strategies have been based around the fact that we have a shared responsibility. It's not, a, it's not an occupational health issue, it's a public health issue. Um, based on simple practices of social distancing, reducing the reliance on things like PPE, which is the basis of any health and safety decision that you make anyway. Um, 
Uh, we've also seen questions in the chat about cleaning the activity structures. Well, we're suggesting if people want to do that, to uh, think very carefully about how you might do that up on a course in a harness with sprays of cleaning chemicals or wipes, how effective it actually might be, what the knock-on consequences might be of that spray onto people's skin and through inhalation or onto their equipment or getting into items like um, sealed bearing units or bearing units on zip line trolleys. So we're not saying you shouldn't go and clean touch points within your place of work or clean touch points within your uh, ropes course or zip line environment, but you should think very carefully about whether you're actually going to cause other problems by doing so. Um, very much the same for cleaning of helmets and harnesses, which again, um, there's a, an accepted theoretical risk that one person wears a harness, they are asymptomatic. We then put the harness onto somebody else and we pass the virus on. Um, we don't actually know what that level of risk is, what the chance of transmitting virus that way is. But what's fairly clear from the manufacturers is that um, any way that's suggested of cleaning a harnesses between users is, um, is, is pretty much uh, unachievable on a day-to-day -day basis. So again, it's about, you know, thinking very carefully about any measures you may decide to do and whether those measures themselves actually lead on to other problems in a, you know, further down the road in days or weeks time. So what um, are you recommending on the harnesses? If, if, uh, you know, is it, I think you had mentioned you, you might suggest that people bring a change of clothes, put it a again, little bit. Our, our, yeah. Our government has said that, it, you know, the public should consider if they leave their home to go and do something to put a clean set of clothes on when they leave and when they get home to wash their clothes again. Um, and, and as we've said, we don't actually know what the risk of transmission is from one harness to another. Um, it's a presumed, assumed, everybody seems to believe that there is a, there is a risk. I think it's undeniable there is a risk, um, but what level of risk that is. So at the moment, um, most people in the United Kingdom are not planning to try or attempt to somehow clean or disinfect their harnesses between users. If somebody was to, you know, have some kind of... Um, bodily fluid all over it, but we would take it out of action anyway. It's not an unusual practice. We would be quarantining that harness anyway. So harnesses will be removed from one person and in most likely in, in, in a lot of cases will be utilized again that day by somebody else. Now, as the science develops on how long COVID can actually live in a outdoor environment, it might be that there are strategies whereby you could you know, use the harnesses once and then use them in the afternoon again or something like that. But that's not clear at the moment. Um, but what is clear is there is not really anything practicable you can do in the way of cleaning and disinfecting a harness between users. So if you're if you want to take the precaution um, of uh, trying not to pass it from one user to the other, then really your only clear options are to install some form of quarantining. So the harnesses get used, get taken away, get left for a period of time. Um, that period of time is unclear, uh, up to 72 hours, but it could be less, it's unclear, and then used again. And it might be you could do that because you've got a range of activities and you might have people on this activity in the morning, that one in the afternoon, and then this one tomorrow, and that one the day after, and you may be able to achieve 
some way of, of quarantining and cycling those harnesses round. Um, but I would be surprised if, if anybody here would be achieving 72 hours between each harness. Um, and you had said, uh, so are you, are you guiding the government on, are, are, they, are they expecting you to pull all your members together and create yeah, we have, your um, opening pro proposal or, um, or are they saying to you, this is what you need to do? How much are you having to work? Because nobody knows, as you're saying, yeah. with the right answers. So are they leaning more on you or are you leaning, are you having to follow what they say? How's that? Um, we've, actually, we've actually been quite lucky, I would say. I think we've got, um, we've got quite good advice from them. I mean, having a government saying that they don't believe the use of masks is an effective use, uh, protection against COVID outside of a clinical setting is actually incredibly helpful. You know, it's not us making that decision. That's a decision made by our government. It's, it's you know, it's laid out by them. That's how we should work. Um, so we've been quite lucky in there in having um, a set of principles laid out to the public that, you know, put a, a duty upon them. You know, if you want to go out and take part in an activity or you want to go out to the shop or you want to go to the store, you as the member of public need to do your part. This is a public health issue. You know, it doesn't... <laughs> The, the, the risk is, no, is, is the same whether you're going to a, a shop or a cafe or getting on public transport. And, and as in when we're able to open facilities, that risk will be the same. It doesn't jump up suddenly when you get into a work environment. So we've actually been very lucky in that respect. But the flip side for the United Kingdom is we don't actually have a process. And again, you could say this is good, I suppose, but there isn't a process in the UK whereby we go, I want to open, we present our plan and our risk assessment and our policies and procedures to somebody, they check it and agree it and say, yes, you can open. The way it works in the United Kingdom is they say, you need to achieve these things. You, we would go, okay, we think we've done them, we'll open. And then you and open. If something was to go wrong one day, they'd come out and say, well, what you should have done is this, that, and the other. Aren't you really naughty people? <laughs> Mike, what about you in Germany? Has the government been more pushing for expectations or you're, you're setting the, the protocols and, and saying this is what we can do to mitigate the, the risk? It is uh, more or less similar like in the UK. Um, for the big... Um, industries like food etc there the government is taking um, responsibilities but our industry is uh, small compared to the other ones mm -hmm. and so um, there was no guidance developed by them but they were um, yeah inquiring um, what body or what um, association might uh, help the industries um, and in the end, it happened like that, that each operator um, get reassurance or ask their authority. This is in Germany, it's a city or the district. And uh, they both seek together a way how reopening can be made safe. Um, and in our cases, um, expect the group um, programs. Um, I know that for all the operators, it worked uh, to find a solution together with the local authority. It's even city or the district. Okay. So um, the case that there is no overall um, strategy or plan 
give some freedom um, to the smaller um, parts. And uh, this is what um, seems to be good working um, in Germany and um, make it happen for the operators with a agreed <coughs> consent together with the authorities. So um, it's not so bad. Okay, Rick, and I think yeah. we'll which- Yeah, I, I was gonna ask um, Pitt Bungarder if he would be weigh in here since he's um, both the president of the Swiss Adventure Park Association and operator of RopeTech in Switzerland. Um, Pitt Bongarder, um, since you are obviously dealing with your own parks issues as well as sort of the broader industry situation, how is, are things in Switzerland the same or different from what you've heard um, so far? Yeah, hello. Um, things are, yeah, I think quite far similar. Um, we have a, a system of protection concepts uh, um, with two steps. Uh, we, we have the associations working out in the first step uh, a protection concept um, that will be yeah, more, more uh, precise by the operators in their own concept. And at the time being, we, we have uh, this general concept uh, that was checked by the government. They don't really check it. They, they uh, make a plausibility check uh, of it. And now for, yeah, the, the, the main things are the uh, distancing, like everywhere, uh, the hygienic measures, like uh, hand washing, stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, the, the 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 main need for masks, as viewed in Switzerland, is if you if you break the distancing rule. So for for a ropes course, that means uh, it's it's mainly for for the rescue and and for the training situations, where we say you you should use masks. And for all the other things, we have uh, physical measures like uh, this plastic glass stuff. Uh, and the, the timing started at the 11th of May with a, a round of openings of ropes courses. And the next one is planned for the 6th of June. So in good one week time. And at the 11th of May, we had these five uh, persons in a group rule uh, that worked on and uh, that will um, end uh, this Saturday. And then a group of 30 people is allowed. Yeah. Okay. Is there any, are there any rules or regulations or recommendations around cleaning gear or surfaces and that sort of thing? Yeah, we we defined our our recommendations. Um, this um, is uh, mainly three parts: uh, the the harnesses and slings and stuff like that. Uh, we said you are only allowed to use them in a dry condition, or to hand it out to to customers in a dry condition. Um, the helmets and the, the carabiners or the connection to the safety system, uh, you have to, to clean or, or make any kind of disinfection after use. And um, the, 
the gloves. Uh, we have we said uh, you have to dry them or in a dry condition. You have to store them for 12 hours. And we expected the government to to raise this uh, amount of hours, but uh, finally they said, yeah, they think it's it's plausible. <laughs> hey, I have one more question for you. Um, so what? How you've been open now? So how has the guest response been? Like, are you seeing a crush of people showing up um, who were desperate to get outside and do something? Was it? Were your were your expectations? Were you surprised with how many and who showed up? Was it a different kind of customer that you've seen? A dem demographic? Was it more people, less people? Has it consistently been growing in numbers? Yeah, um, we have some adventure parks that opened um, at or after the eleventh of May. The the main part, um, as I think <laughs> uh, will open uh, at the 6th of June mm -hmm. and even in the in the, in the um, uh, we have we had yesterday a public announcement of the government and and even then in, in this written document it's written that ropes courses or adventure parks will open at the 6th of June so so it's a, I guess, a small part of the ropes course industry in Switzerland that opened already. What I heard from from parts that are open is uh, they had uh, clearly fewer amount of customers. Um, they had uh, clearly more local customers, by local meaning other parts of Switzerland that normally would go to France or Italy or <laughs> whatever. Great. Um, and have they said at all about um, the customer's expectation when they show up? Are they, um, are we learning anything from when they show up? Are we meeting their expectations? Are we falling short? Are you feeling that, that, that there's enough that the government has said to them that when they show up, there's a, a shared expectation? Or are you finding that they're more nervous than you expected and they're expecting more from you i guess that's um, question but. yeah but what i heard until now is is that they they have been very uh, cooperative in 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 accepting new rules or what what i heard uh, they 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 were were fine to to have a, a longer time to preparations or whatever so and yeah they the, the the adventure parks i i heard they they don't wear masks uh, like for everything and 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 i didn't hear anything about people asking for uh, for other people to wear masks or things like that so no no tensions of the mask wearing customer and the non mask wearing customer um no no. At least I didn't hear about anything like that. Okay. But we uh, we are planning to to make a a little uh, survey um, in, in mid of June because we like in the Swiss Adventure Park Association we have this this uh, opening of the sixth of June and then we think by mid of June we can can get some first feedback about the Corona starting 
Um, Emma, we're going to jump back to you. I know one of the the main um, concerns that a lot of operators in the U.S. are having is getting staff up to speed and changing uh, training protocols to fit with social distancing or uh, new uses of PPE. What kind of adjustments to training are you proposing for your clients? Especially for things like rescues and those, those close, unavoidable close contact situations that Steve mentioned. Um, well, at the moment, Steve is, I have to defer to Steve on this because he's actually going to be the one that's going to be drawing up what we're going to be doing. Um, what our intention is, is to actually speak to each operate, each client as and when they're requesting um, training to go through what is and what isn't possible at their site as well. So it will, we will be doing it on an almost an individual basis. Um, because the majority of the training that we deliver is um, in relation to the IRCA syllabus, we obviously still will be required and do require to ensure that we can still cover the syllabus. Um, and as I said, Steve is actually reviewing the way that we deliver our training at the moment. So I'm going to go, I'm going to bat it back to Steve, I'm afraid. So <laughs> over to you, Steve. Um, yeah, well, we've... Um Maybe a little explanation about how, how our group came together, really. We, um, we're a private business. We're not an association or a body or anything like that. And back in April, af after attending an Adventure Park huddle, um, I came away um, feeling really positive after just listening in for an hour and decided that we should do it with our clients. And then we came together as a group of about 50, people, 50 companies and started writing our own guidance document, which has kind of grown and grown and grown. And so um, about two or three days ago, Emma said to me, we're starting to get interest in training courses, Steve, what are we going to do? And, and, uh, and my response was, I don't know. We've been working on this document for so long now. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we, are, we are now in the process. We were, you know, as of um, hopefully tomorrow, we would have finished our guidance document. That will be out and we can get on with um, working with our, our clients on how we can get to them um, in sort of late June, early July to help those that want to open to open up. But yeah, so part of what we, what we have been considering is which bits can we achieve through social distancing? Um, so which parts of a training program can still be delivered in that way? Can we, um, and can we somehow arrange enough equipment so that each individual person just has their own equipment for the whole training program? Um, and that may even extend all the way down to a belay rope and a belay device and, and everything, because if you can allocate them the equipment at the start of the program and they look after it until the end of the program, and then you can quarantine it for a given period of time. Um, and that should potentially resolve some of those issues there. Um, certain things like um, assisting customers and clients and, you know, helping people out on the course, whether it be a rescue or whether it be just somebody who needs some kind of physical or emotional assistance. That's a lot harder to do without uh, breaking that social distancing. So, um, again, can you, you know, rather than using people, can you use some kind of uh, dummy or weighted dummy? So you're not um, getting close to people, you're getting close to a dummy. Um, you may at that point decide to introduce um, PPE. So when I say PPE, I mean the sort of masks and the gloves and things because you can have to break that social distance. Um, a big challenge for us, and it's fairly similar in, in, the, in North America as well, is that our social distance is actually two meters. Um, in Germany, it's 1.5, but the World, uh, the World Health Organization say it should be a meter. So 
currently that's being challenged in the UK because not only is that difficult for um, uh, you know catering businesses and restaurants and places that want to get lots of people in one space but from a training point of view I'm sure like many people here we do um, a, a fairly high percentage of our training you know 30 30 percent maybe maybe more of our training in a classroom environment so how we're going to achieve social distancing in that environment um, can be quite challenging so it might be you know we're going to have to start working with the training venues on what provision have they got what space have they got do we need to get some kind of large um, marquee or tent in play um, if there's no indoor provision for that how much of that classroom work can we do in a more creative way and who knows there could be some great learns for us there anyway we, we, we leave the classroom more often as a consequence of it okay. the other thing um, um, about liaising with the clients is that in the United Kingdom um, we might travel to them to deliver their training but when we get onto their venue their site we actually become their responsibility from a legal health and safety perspective so we um, deliver you know, a hefty amount of training in any year. We might um, train one and a half, 2,000 people in any, any one year in the UK and, and around um, our clients. And uh, we're sending people out a lot of places. So one of the things we're looking at now is how do we know that when we're sending them somewhere that their, their place of accommodation is going to be looking after them appropriately? that um, when they get to that venue, they're going to be looked after appropriately as well. So um, we can formulate our risk assessment and plan of the actual delivery of the training program. And, and as I said, the majority of it will be simply trying to maintain that social distance, um, some unavoidable close contact where PPE will be donned, and trying to avoid being in the classroom as much as we can. So coming up with creative outdoor ways of learning um, which could be you know, good for the future anyway. But yeah. the larger part of what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is actually planning that with the individual companies themselves um, because it's not something we can do by ourselves. It needs to be done as a, a joint relationship. We're coming to them. But they're going to be providing the facilities and the location. So we, we start that process next week. Okay. Um, I'm going to put, um, and, I'm, and I might say your name wrong, um, Aaron, Ewan, Ewan O'Shaughnessy, you're with Zipit Forest Adventures. Um, are you guys open? Uh, no, we're not open as of yet. We're planning to open somewhere in the end of June. We're working close with Steve and Emma there and, uh, with Vertex and waiting for the guidance from them to decide whether, you know, what, what we need to do to, to be able to open. And where is your park? Uh, it's in Ireland, Dublin. <coughs> so we have three parks across Ireland, yeah. So um, it's a big challenge, yeah, but we're just, just waiting for the guidance, really. And what's it, you know, where um, is customer, you know, I, I hear this theme from Mike in Germany and, and Steve in the UK, um, this shared responsibility, which we're not there in North America, it's all over the place, you know, state by state, and it, we're in the heat of debating and figuring all that out. How is it in Ireland? Do you think, um, are you getting a lot of guidance from the government? Are you, are you coming up with your own, each individual operator? Are you feeling like... Yeah, like I know there, there are some ropes courses planning to open, you know, as early as this weekend. Um, 
I don't know, you know, what guidance they're they're picking up, but f- from what I know, some may have like close contact with the government, put forward some measures, or you know what what their procedures may be, and they get the the go ahead in that sense. Um, I know the general kind of thing at the moment is is that if you're to open, you know, you're only allowed customers within your radius. You know, we see other adventure um, companies open, such as you know kayak centers and water parks and stuff like this. Um, but they're very much restricted to the people that they can take in. So, you know, we're quite heavily policed at the moment as how far we can travel. Um, so, you know, people, like whatever customers we will have will, will be within our kilometer radius, which changes every three weeks. So the radius increases, you know, every, every three weeks. So it's hard to know what the, the customer numbers will be like. But you have to kind of model a few different things as your radius expands. Yeah, like I suppose where we're situated, like we're situated in the mountains. So, you know, it's kind of difficult because there's not that many people within the five kilometer radius. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But there are some parks, I suppose, situated in kind of ideal areas where they can get a higher volume of people within that radius. So. I think as time goes on and that radius expands, we'll probably see more and more customers come in. And you, are you getting calls? Are you feeling like there will be a, a pent-up demand? Are, are people Yeah, most, most definitely. Like, you know, we're getting messages through to our Facebook, uh, our social media every day asking, you know, when are we open? When can we book? So the demand is definitely there, but, you know, we have no booking live um, as of the moment, so it's actually hard to kind of decide or tell what what numbers will come through the doors when when we do reopen. Okay. Um. And Mike, going back to you, you had um said you had some interesting calls. You know, just looking at different opportunities for our outdoor spaces. You know, because there is the data coming in that it's healthier to be outside. Um. You said you. I think it was you. It said you had schools calling. Um, asking whether there is um, the possibility of using the the this, the venues for um, outdoor classroom, and I actually talked to an operator yesterday, who's creating a whole homeschool curriculum, mm-hmm. um, that sh- that she'll be working with the local homeschool association, and and so finding a you know a, a different revenue stream here where. Um, where there's where there's a need so mike what what were the calls you were getting from the schools um yes maybe it was a slight misunderstanding it was more a wish um that um we as operators can welcome schools again Um, but unluckily at the moment in germany um government and the authorities say it's uh, not possible Um, school classes have to stay at school Mm -hmm. and even no external parties are allowed to go into school because another idea was for us um, to send um, um, our instructors, trainers and outdoor instructors to schools um, to enable them to make programs over there. Um, But uh, unfortunately at this time it's not possible. Emma. Olivia, just can I just chip in there? Yeah. Um, a number of our clients um, who have got quite large facilities and who already accommodate children um, over in the UK, we have quite a, a big program called Learning Outside the Classroom, 
and part of what a lot of children do is they may go away for the week um, in year six so that's your 10 and 11 year olds um, for a week's residential where they will undertake quite a lot of activities outdoor activities um, and so those sites are already geared up to have children on site whether to stay the night food provision classrooms etc and those particular providers are now finding that schools because our schools in theory are due to go back in June um, beginning of June with the limited year groups um, and they are getting calls saying rather than be in the classroom and indoors can we come to you for the day oh, um, and so like you're saying the your the uh, operator that you were talking to it is slightly different in terms of the offering that they're used to because they're used to these children coming Monday to Friday, but they're now thinking, can we change our um, offering and potentially get schools to come to us for a day? Um, because the schools themselves would then also be able to have more children in if they knew some of their year groups were actually off-site. Um, and so that enables the schools to manage more effectively um, the social distancing for particularly for young children mm. um, as Steve had mentioned earlier um, we are increasingly hearing um, about this bubble thing this social bubble so a classroom a group of um, children would become a bubble and then they would just move around together um, and not interact with other children so yeah that's what we've had a few operators say they've been getting quite a few inquiries from schools saying can we come to you for the day Okay, thank you um, for clarifying that. I knew knew someone had said something about that. That's right. Um, and has it, to any of the um, operators on the call, has anybody come up with um, a video or some icons, you know, for guest education? Has anybody, has the government, you know, put forth any kind of um, being the shared responsibility the social responsibility you know um here in the uk olivia as far as i'm aware um there is talk about um visit england um possibly creating a kite mark so that um uh, uh places can then say yes we comply with all the requirements and you get a kite mark so it's then evident to your customers that you're complying with the regulations from government that has yet to go anywhere but um, we were talking to an operator who is also quite a large tourist venue um, and our members of visit england and they said those are the discussions that are, are, are taking place at the moment whether at national level there will be a kite mark that um, it gets created for for people i wonder whether that could exist too with associations coming mm. up with their own you know, within an industry that yeah. all of it, yeah. Yeah, we Olivia, talked about that as well. Olivia, this is Scott with ACCT. We're actually doing some work on what that might look like and how we might do that because we know that that's going to be an issue for folks. The other piece I wanted to say really quickly, for folks in North America, American Camp Association has issued their guidelines on reopening resident and day camp and they include a very significant piece around the social bubbling. They call it something different, but the social bubbling concept that Emma was talking about, it's a pretty good resource for folks to look to. And Stephen and Emma and Mike, I'm happy to forward that to you if you want to look at it. American Camp Association? Mm -hmm. okay. ACA. The ACA. Okay, yeah, that, that seems like that would be worth looking into. Um, 
so we're at the top of the hour. Um, Rick, Sarah, did you guys have any final questions for our, or any questions from the audience before we wrap this up? Have you, have you heard anything here in the, in the last 40 minutes or so that is, you think was different, interesting, you hadn't thought of, anything that sort of stands out as being particularly valuable? Yes, uh, I find one thing very important these times, and I can't without saying it. Um, it's the great open-minded um, exchange, and um, the um, that there's no fear to share things and to cooperate. And um, I would love to continue um, like that, um, even if all these things are over and we are all safe again. But uh, that's what I very much like at these times. And um, I think it's a good example and we should continue, please. Thank you for listening to another Adventure Park Insider Huddle. There's a lot we can learn from our colleagues across the pond as they reopen their operations. As with all our huddles, the intent is to create an open dialogue to share and broaden our thinking by considering what other operations are doing to adapt to COVID-19. And we hope you can join us for future conversations as we continue in this effort. We will be doing these calls weekly for as long as they make sense. Each call is open to the industry, so if you would like to participate or if you have a question or topic you think we should cover, email huddle at adventureparkinsider.com. In the meantime, check out our coronavirus impact page on both the SAM and API websites with content to help you navigate through this crisis. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Winter Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeev, and thank you for listening to PodSAM.